Welcome to Standing Firm, a Come Follow Me podcast. Here are your hosts, Jordan and Louis Unga. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Standing Firm, where we talk Come Follow Me scriptures each and every week. My name is Lou. I'm here in studio with my brother, Jordan. And uh, Jordan, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Fresh off of Valentine's Day, I finally have kids in school, so that means they bring candy home to me and I get to have it. That's how it works, right? Yeah, that's one of the joys of being a parent. So this is one of those weeks where we get to cover five chapters in 20 minutes, which is always a fun challenge. But, you know, next week is like eight chapters. I don't know if you knew that. So so that'll be fun. So we start off today in 2 Nephi chapter 6. This is the record of Jacob talking about everything from Jewish history to the Babylonian captivity and return and the words of Isaiah. And there's a lot of really neat things about the Savior in here as well. But starting in verse 2, Jacob starts off this chapter by stating the authority that's been given to him by his brother Nephi. You'll notice that he uses the phrase holy order, which is... Mm -hmm sort of a nod to the Melchizedek priesthood, which as we know is just an honorary name for the true name of the priesthood, which we learn in Doctrine and Covenants is called the Holy Priesthood after the Order of the Son of God, which is kind of a long form way of saying it. We discussed this in earlier chapters, Jordan, but with no members of the tribe of Levi among the Nephites, there would have been no Levitical priesthood, also called the Aaronic priesthood. So Jacob clearly demonstrates his understanding of the priesthood and and his role in this sort of religious order that his brother has established amongst the growing Nephite nation. It it was interesting to me that both he and Nephi used the word consecrate to describe his call as a priesthood authority and a teacher in the land. To consecrate means to dedicate or to declare something, or in this case, someone as holy. And this really shows the reverence and the respect that these brothers in the priesthood had for the work of the Lord and specifically the call to serve. Yeah, I've actually noticed that that was a theme that Nephi, Jacob now, always have a great respect for the priesthood. Now, something that caught my eye was the mention of the word anxiety. So chapter 6, verse 3, we read Jacob's great concern for the welfare of his people. And he expressed his anxiety of worrying for them. And like we mentioned last week with Nephi, most prophets of old had this same type of worry about themselves, if they were worthy enough, and even just worrying about the faithful people that followed them on their journeys. There was a great expression of anxiety. And I'd like to share a great experience that I had as a missionary. Oh, goody. You might find that I tell mission stories from time to time. So bear with me, everybody. It's funny. I actually told my wife years ago that I probably have told about 30% of my mission stories just to friends and families (laughs) since being home, like it's coming up on 15 years now, which is crazy to think about, but, but I don't share a lot of these stories mainly just because, you know, they're special to me, but, but this story happened to me and it showed me that the Lord would make up for my major weakness and my greatest concern going into my mission. It was very similar to the feelings that Jacob and Nephi had back in their day. But I was serving in a small town of Cowley, Wyoming, and they have a population of about 425 people. So not very many people at all. Mm. And we met a man named Alan Grant. Now, 
One of the biggest stresses and anxieties going into my mission was the fact that I stutter. Those who know me very well know that I do have a stutter. There's, it's more of a little tick with certain words or letters that I may get stuck on. And I got to tell you, Louis, that was the greatest concern going into my mission was, can I go out and teach the gospel without stuttering? My anxiety grew just day by day about this going into my mission. But we met Alan at a restaurant and my companion, Elder Jacob Sherwood, shout out to Elder Sherwood. He felt impressed that we needed to go and talk to this man and that I was the one that needed to do it. And I was bug-eyed. I said, me? Why? So anyways, we got up and we approached him and I went in and sure enough, my stutter was there. I went in with my, hi, I'm, I'm Elder and and I went through my whole spiel and and it was awful. <laughs> my poor companion, he was, he just had this look on his face, like what is going on? It was just, it was painfully awkward. Where almost you know, like, you feel like you're floating out of your body and you're watching the situation. And it was just terrible. But Alan began to talk to us. And when he did that, my anxiety completely went away. He actually told me that he saw us coming over and he had no intentions of speaking to us. As he was just traveling through to a, a town called Laurel, which is a few towns north. And he told us the only reason that he talked to us on that day was because of my stutter. Wow. And he felt bad for me almost, which is funny. So we laughed about it. And the moral of the story is we were able to share a message with him about Christ. And we left him with a Book of Mormon and he went his way and we went ours and didn't really see him for months until we were able to reconnect through Facebook and I was, I was able to get in touch with him, found out he moved with his family to Canada. And he shared with me that because of an experience he had with a stuttering elder, he was able to receive the fullness of the gospel. So shout out to my man, Alan Grant. I know that he has listened to some of our episodes and shown some great love and support. Uh, Alan, you are more than the guy that shares the name with the guy from Jurassic Park. I was going to mention that. You are an incredible reminder to me that the Lord can make our greatest anxieties in life turn to our greatest experiences. So I just wanted to put that out there. Super cool story, man. So many people can identify with that same anxiety. It's not always necessarily a stutter or a speech impediment of some kind, but this is something that people feel a lot in all walks of life. And speaking of the church, the church is referenced in this chapter as well. In verse six, uh, says the standard to the people, or if you look at the footnote, it's also been called an ensign to the nations. This is a reference to the Lord's Latter-day Church, even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This church is a standard. It's raised by the Lord. It's a glorious marquee to scattered Israel and to all the world that the Lord welcomes all to partake in the blessings of his gospel. Mm. But the church is the means by which the Lord provides authority through priesthood keys for saving ordinances. It's the mechanism for gathering Israel and allowing them to choose to make covenants. It's the Lord's means to establish clear doctrine. It's his method for organizing the children of God on earth as stakes in Zion so that we can care for one another. Sometimes people have a lot of negative things to say about the church, you know? I think because of the shortcomings and the errancy of mankind, the church as an organization isn't perfect. It's never going to be perfect. But at its head is the only perfect person that's ever lived on this earth. And at the root of the church 
is the fullness of his immaculate gospel. And I, I love that you were able to share that story and share that gospel. Moving on to verse eight, a very quick historical point that I wanted to make. In verse eight, Jacob speaks once again to the ransacking and the assault of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. We know that Lehi delivered a similar revelation to his family already. So why is Jacob kind of saying the same thing here in verse eight? Right. From a historical standpoint, I think many, myself included, assumed that the siege of Jerusalem was like a swift one-time attack and a prompt and speedy deportation of all the citizens in the kingdom took place. But the reality is that after the military defeat, the Babylonian occupation and subsequent capture and removal of the, all the people took more than 10 years. And that actually makes sense when discussing historical events, especially ones that took place thousands of years ago, it's really easy to oversimplify it and assign sort of a revisionist version of events and overlook all of the little social and economic and cultural strife that has to be overcome or overpowered in order to, right. to take over a place like this. So Jacob, in this case, is not necessarily repeating a known revelation. He's more so giving an update saying like, this is now complete. It's a great point, Louis. Just really breaks it down well there and easy to understand for sure. So that kind of wraps up uh, chapter six, heading into chapter seven. Now, Jacob is now going to read from the book of Isaiah. And in this chapter, we learn a lot about Jesus and kind of his relationship with the house of Israel. Yeah, for sure. And one thing that we learn in scripture is that the Lord has a long history of speaking to people in terms and stories and dialects that they would understand depending on when and where they lived. This is a clear mark of his godhood and his just mastery of all things. Mm. In this analogy, he asked the children of Israel, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? In ancient Israel, the bill of divorcement was given to dissolve a marriage in accordance with the law of the day. By this time in history, after Jerusalem had been left in tatters and the tribes of Israel had lost the land of their inheritance and been scattered around the world, surely there must have been a feeling amongst many Israelites that the Lord God had abandoned them. This is just human nature. But like you mentioned a couple weeks ago, Jordan, the teacher is always silent during the test. Here in verse one, the Lord asks all of Israel, where is the bill of divorcement? Basically saying, I've been here all along. I'm still here. Israelites by this time had become a very transactional people. And the Lord is saying, if our relationship's been dissolved, show me the paperwork, show me the transaction. Also back in ancient Israel, people, even children could be sold into slavery to satisfy a debt. We kind of saw this with the story of Joseph, which we talked about. This was a common practice. And the Lord again uses this common practice and says to Israel, to which of my creditors have I sold you? I think in our day and age, we can sometimes feel like the Lord has abandoned us, but mostly everyone who is feeling like that in a moment of complete honesty would probably tell you that they haven't done all that they can to turn to the Lord. All these questions from the Lord to ancient Israel still apply to all of us today. He has not divorced us. He has not sold us off. He just needs us to do our part. The power in which the words of Isaiah, though they're difficult to understand at times, there's just great power there. But something that I learned that I love about Christ is Christ often asked questions to help people ponder and apply the principles he was trying to teach. And right there in verse one, how you walked us through that, wanting people to search in their own way to feel them out. Going on in verse two, in my own words, I 
picked out how Christ asks, do you think that I've lost my power or my ability? Yeah. You right. know what I mean? And then speaking of that power and ability, there's a lot of power in the words of verse six. In verse six, the Lord gives us a prophecy regarding his mortal ministry and his punishment at the hands of wicked men. He says, I gave my back to the smiter, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Jesus gave his back to the smiter, and they scourged him with a braided leather whip. He hid not his face from the shame of an unjust trial, one that saw him sentenced to death by crucifixion over a notable prisoner, Barabbas. He hid not his face from spitting. Jesus was spit upon by members of the Sanhedrin, also by the Roman soldiers who carried out his crucifixion. He hid not his head from a crown of woven thorns. He hid not his hands and his feet and his wrists from nails. His love and the blessings of his infinite atonement he hides not from anyone who seeks them. The narrow path to eternal life, his work and glory, he hides not from anyone with the courage to walk it. His word and his will, he hides not from mankind. Indeed, he makes all things possible. I love verse six of this chapter. It's funny going into this chapter, I knew that the here jar would probably be hitting triple digits, <laughs> describing what the Lord had to go through and, the, and what the Lord was willing to go through. As we continue to learn in verse seven, Christ speaking, he says, I shall not be confounded or stopped. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. Or in other words, I've completely prepared myself for this task. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. Or in my own interpretation, this is the Lord saying, I will not fail. And to have on our side is the King of Kings, even Christ the Lord proclaiming, I will not fail. Knowing he would have to go into this situation that Louis just described in verse six, I truly love the power of the Lord here, letting us know that he will not fail. Yeah, beautiful and powerful. You know, we're getting into what's called the Isaiah chapters of Second Nephi. And this is where a lot of people's readings get de derailed a little bit when they attempt to read the Book of Mormon. But if there's anything that we want people to learn in these chapters, it's just the beautiful words that are used to describe the Savior sacrifice, the scattering and gathering of Israel, all of these things that are foundational principles. Brings us to chapter eight, and Jacob continues reading from Isaiah. And in this chapter, he continues to discuss redemption and the atonement and other things that I, I know you have a couple of points you wanted to cover in this chapter, Jordan. Oh yeah, for sure. One of my favorites that stood out to me was just right there in verse five, Christ, in speaking of the atonement that he would perform, he's letting us all know that it is a blessing that is always near and it's always available. And what a comfort for us to know in this life that the atonement is custom made for us in every way possible. I also love in verse 12, it's funny when I read this verse, Louis, you have two teenagers at home. Something that I've noticed with the youth today is when they're referring to somebody who is just so awesome at what they do and they're just like the best of the best, like they are the man, they refer to them as like him. He is him. He is him, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but in verse 12, this is the Lord claiming that he is him, right? He is that dude. Yeah. And I love this. He says in verse 12, I am he that comforteth you. Behold, who art thou? 
that thou should be afraid of man or mortal men. Goes on to say in verse 22, I, the Lord thy God, pleadeth the cause of his people. Or in other words, there's a form of support or statement of speaking on someone else's behalf. He says, Behold, I have taken out from thy hand the cup of trembling, that thou shalt no more drink of it again. Christ is that dude. He took that burden and he bore it out of love. Chapter 9. Um, we are short on time. But that's all right. We've got a um, few things that we want to touch on in chapter 9 before we finish up here. The first one I want to talk about is in verse 30. It talks about earthly treasures and how they're fleeting and how they will ultimately perish. Mm-hmm. The treasures of this world, you know, often shimmer with an alluring glow beckoning is the promise of comfort is the promise of status and temporary joy they manifest in the form of material wealth and accolades of achievement and acceptance of our peers okay. however all of these treasures are very very fleeting they're subject to the passage of time which corrodes them and the shifts of circumstance that happen in this world almost faster than we can comprehend wealth will dissipate it can dissipate achievements may be forgotten and as mentioned here in this verse 30 those treasures will ultimately perish. Stark contrast, the treasures of heaven offer an enduring radiance that never fades with the setting suns of our mortal timeline. Celestial riches speak to the virtues of love, and kindness, wisdom, charity, with all the glory going to God. And Jesus describes the difference in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Lay not up yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's pretty awesome that the Lord points out that earthly treasures can be compromised or even stolen, but heavenly treasures can never be stolen. It's a beautiful concept. So many wonderful things that are taught in these chapters. Definitely encourage you all to go back and to read the words of Isaiah. There's so many beautiful messages about the atonement of Christ and the resurrection. And all things are going to point to the wonderful love that Christ has for us. The last thing that I wanted to mention, Lou, is in that same chapter in verse 50. I'll go ahead and read it. This is, Come, my brethren, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. As we live in this world where nothing seems to ever be free, right? Yeah, right. We are, we are offered truly the only free gift that's ever been given, and that is Christ the Lord. And just knowing that his love literally costs nothing, and uh, it is custom built for us. Love that forever thankful. Amen. We have a challenge to end our show today. Going back to chapter 7 and verse 2, Jordan, you spoke about this a little bit. To the prophet Isaiah, the Lord asked the house of Israel, Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? If there's a lesson in these first two books of the Book of Mormon so far, it's a testimony that the Lord's hand is not shortened. His reach is sufficient to rescue, claim, and embrace all of those that he loves. Our challenge for this week, I'm going to ask you to read a few more verses. 
Doctrine and Covenants, section 50, verses 40, 41, and 42. If you're feeling lost, or if you've ever felt lost at any point in your life, these verses will speak forcefully to your soul, and you will know that the hand of the Lord is not shortened and can redeem. An update on the tear jar this week, $15, Jordan. I know you thought that I didn't see your eyes welling up with tears, but I saw. I was literally trying to hide, too. $15 <laughs> to the tear jar. That brings our running total to $90, almost to the century mark. We're, yeah, we're getting yeah. there. We're telling you, triple digits. Yep. So in all that money headed to church humanitarian aid to help people all over the world. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the reading. We hope that you gained some valuable insights from uh, some of the things that we shared during the show. A reminder, if you are a listener to the show and you haven't joined us on Instagram, please do so, like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. We want to grow that and uh, really make it a community where we can talk about scriptures together and not just uh, listen to the two of us talk. So it's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. very, very important to us. That's all for this week. Until next week, stand firm. We'll talk to you in a week. Thanks, guys. Standing Firm, a Come Follow Me podcast, is a production of Sierra House Publishing, LLC. The show, or any opinions expressed therein, are not affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For a transcript of today's show, please visit our website at standingfirmpodcast.com.